Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noel, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Jerry Fletcher, you are the owner of Z-Axis Marketing, and you can be found at jerryfletcher.com. Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, as you said, I run Z-Axis Marketing, and what I do is I guide individuals and organizations to become more memorable and more profitable. Uh, You know how everybody keeps telling you, you you have to stand out from the crowd? but nobody tells you how to do it. That's right. Well, what I do is I guide folks like you to develop a unique trust-based strategy that continually evolves to build your business, your brand, and the life of joy. Why? Well, a couple of years ago, I discovered a thing called the YOS. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But what that told me was that I am what's called a better way. What that means is that I'm always involved in finding more efficient ways to do things and share them. Uh, That's just part of my DNA. Okay. So I constantly innovate and improve the systems and the procedures for my clients. And I'm pretty adept at adapting things from uh, one area of of importance or or industry to others. Uh, It's pretty easy for me to do that. Um, So I always try to find a way to make that work for my clients. in, in essence, uh, the ask is, you know, let's talk about how we can take your business up a notch. That's really what it comes down to. And I work with elite organizations from Singapore to Spain, uh, primarily consultants these days, although I do work with organizations and companies. But most of the time these days, I'm being referred in, or recommended to um, elite consultants. That's kind of a quick idea of who I am. How do you get into this business? <laughs> I got fired. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was the CEO of a the largest B2B advertising agency in Portland, Oregon. And we had clients that, you know, some people probably be aware of, but little outfits like Tektronics and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, oh, let's see, uh, Freightliner, um, little outfit called Intel you may have heard of, right. so on. Anyway, uh, so I went to a, a meeting of my my board, which I hadn't expected, and and I got fired on the spot. Basically, we agreed to disagree. I wanted to take our business and grow it by going south into California. And like most Oregonians, they had the idea that Seattle was sort of the North Star, and that's where you ought to go. And my view was the hell with it. We're going to go south. And so we just we agreed to disagree, and I left. And uh, I started consulting. That was back in, let's see, 1990. And I've, I've managed to stay in business ever since. And one of the reasons I've been able to stay in business is one of the things that you talk about, and that's listening. Right. Tell us about that. What's the importance of listening in, in your work, line of work? Um, I listen to what people do, not what they say. And so and that's, that's interesting when you talk about, because I, I listen to people's emotions, not their words. 
Well, and you know what? All decisions are based on emotions. That's right. All of them. So watching what they do, you're watching what the emotional reaction is to whatever you're, you're working on. Okay. And it's a much, how can I put this? Psychologists took a long time to figure out that behavior is all they can monitor. They can't figure out why your brain's doing what it's doing, but behavior they can monitor. And so from my standpoint, I always try to come at things from, from, from that viewpoint, but I also, I'm an advertising guy. I mean, I, I grew up on advertising. I was, I was in New York when that wonderful arena called the Mad Men was occurring. I mean, I was there. I'm literally the young guy who was taken out for his first lunch had a two martini lunch and you've probably seen those cartoons where you know the rabbit turns like into a, a single you know sheet and just sort of slithers off of the chair that was me okay <laughs> so I, I came out of that that background and I was being trained uh, as an art director at the time but I kind of figured out that the way the world was going the the small agencies the little guys that were not the really big ones uh, but we're more interested in the creativity of how things were, were being put together. We're really going to be the ones that were successful when I got out of college. And so that's kind of the way I went, uh, even though I was working at J. Walter Thompson, which was the largest agency in the world at the time, and a great place to learn. I mean, again, listening. They had classes every Wednesday. And if you went into the classes, you could really learn a lot of stuff. So I got a great education there. And then when I got out of college, I... I, I literally had a wonderful time because I wrote a letter as if my wife had written it. And it was just a very laudatory letter, one page. And down at the bottom was a PS that said, PS, actually, my husband wrote this letter. <laughs> I went out and visited with over 40 agencies in the Midwest on their nickel, not mine. Uh, and I finally decided to go to work at one with one in Minneapolis. Um, it was called Camel Methune. And the reason I decided to go to work with there was there was that one night the phone rang at, at our apartment where my wife and I were living. And the gentleman at the other end identified himself as being with Camel Methune, but he asked to speak to my wife, not to me. And after about 20 minutes, she said, now he wants to talk to you, right? <laughs> and so... Uh, Fred, actually, Fred and I became great friends, but but he he said, would you like to fly in for an interview? And I said, certainly, I'd love to do that. So I did. Uh, and one of the things that, that I talk about uh, in that interview is the fact that, that I had to wait to talk to the company shrink. And while I was waiting, I was sitting in the, in the uh, uh, reception area, and there was a fresh copy of Psychology Today. And in that copy of Psychology Today was an article about how to take psychological tests. So I read it and I sort of said, oh, that's pretty good. So I went and I took the test using that information, right? Well, as fate would have it, the company shrink actually did have the German accent. And, and, he, and, and he said to me, you know, he came in, I came in, sat down across the desk from him. And he said to me, he said, how many of these have you taken? <laughs> I, I went only one and he said and so why do you answer this way 
And I said, well, I took this test, you know, took the information of psychology today, and that's the way I did it. He took it, and he tore it in half, and he dropped it into a wastebasket. And he said, we will talk. <laughs> so we had about a 35, 40-minute conversation, and he sent me back over to the, the, to the company. Well, when I got to the company, I walked in, and the, and the receptionist said, oh, yes, Mr. Myers, ready for you. Why don't you, why don't you go right in there? And so I did. And Fred said to me, he said, well, that's the first time we've ever had that happen. It gave him a little bit of a startle. And, uh, but he said that uh, we should go ahead and proceed with, uh, with our other things that we do. So I went through a series of interviews. And sometimes you're touched by fate. Uh, and so one of my interviews was with the creative director of the agency. And his first question was, so what are your favorite books about advertising? And I said, well... Uh, there's one that really I've always really liked, and that's Scientific Advertising by Claude Hopkins, right? I didn't know that the creative director was a former senior direct marketing writer. And of course, that book is all about how to write copy mm -hmm. that works, okay? We had, I was supposed to be meeting with him for, I think, 20 minutes. An hour and a half later, his secretary walked in and said, look, you have got meetings you've got to go to and you have to go to your next interview. <laughs> so it was it was a good day overall, put it that yeah. way. At the end of the day, I was offered a job at money more than I ever expected and to be trained as an account executive instead of as, as an artist and so on. So it was wonderful. It was a perfect so, so you moved for me. You moved from New York back to Minneapolis? No, I, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. The reason I had a job in New York was that uh, I went to school at the University of Cincinnati, which has a, what do you call it? Um, I've forgotten what they call it, what the program is, but basically you you work for six weeks and you go to school six weeks, back and forth, back and forth that way. It takes five years to get your, your degree, but you come out with a whole lot more experience than most people. And so my job, I had to do practically a year of PR work with the placement group uh, to get the job in New York, but uh, I started there in the mailroom, worked in the mailroom, paste up rooms, and I was the night studio manager for a while. So great jobs to know and understand the business and get to know the people that really make it happen, the writers, the art directors, and so on, right. uh, as well as the other kinds of folks. So it was a great, great uh, area to be. But so I went from Cincinnati to New York for the work, and then after graduation, I went to work in, a, in Minneapolis. What got you to Oregon? Um, the agency was sold to a British-based conglomerate, and the founder of the agency literally um, told a few of us, a handful, I'm going to say, there were about 12 of us, what was going on, and that he would be happy to support us in any way he could if we wanted to move on elsewhere. Of those 12 people, uh, nine of us became CEOs, three were executive vice presidents or COOs wow. uh, in the coming years. Well, it's because Kimmel Within was one of the best organizations out there in terms of process for the account management arena. They were incredibly well-founded. I mean, uh, Ray Mathune was a, was a copywriter, but also a brilliant businessman. And... Uh, so anyway, uh, what happened was I, I started looking around and and I had choices. I could have gone to Atlanta, San Francisco, Seattle, or Portland. And when I looked at it, um, 
my wife said she didn't want to go to Atlanta. I have no idea why, but she didn't. Um, <laughs> and so that that left San Francisco and Seattle and Portland. And of course, I've always liked the West Coast because uh, I'd worked in Denver for a while as well. Um, so I, when I looked at it, uh, I said, well, this looks pretty good. But this one in Portland looks like it might be something I could really bring something to the party. And uh, so I set up an interview. And luckily, the the president of uh, Young and Or, the agency I joined, uh, was coming out to Minneapolis for a meeting with a client. And, and so I agreed to meet him at his client's location. Uh, and we were supposed to meet for half an hour. Uh, an hour and a half later, the client walked in and said, OK, we've got to get some business done. Right. <laughs> so, so I agreed to fly out and interview uh, in Portland, did, was offered the position. Uh, I think it was account supervisor, I think, was, was, the, was the position. Uh, and basically, I became the account supervisor on all the Tektronix business, which wow. is a huge chunk of business. I mean, at that point, Tektronix and Hewlett-Packard were like this. So it was, it was delightful. It was good business. Um, and then uh, over time, I became the CEO, uh, literally um, sitting between, my office was between the two founders. Huh. So, no. Uh, and actually, we had six inches of, no, eight inches of uh, soundproofing between both sides of my office because those two were prone to argue or get a little loud. and. I've been known to, how can I put this, step into the middle of arguments and try to defuse them. I'll put it that way. There you go. Mediate. Yeah. Me, well, I, I wouldn't call it mediation so much as shouting them down. I mean, <laughs> I don't have the talents that you have. But um, it uh, it turned out to be a pretty good operation. We did well. Started a PR firm. Um, when I left there, um, basically... Uh, did never turn back. I just said, okay, fine. And I opened the doors on my consulting practice. And, uh, and like I said, that was in 1990 and I'm still in business. So I must've done something right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, my journey was kind of similar. I was a trial lawyer for 22 years and then mm. school got my master's degree in peacemaking, peacemaking and complex studies and couldn't come to agreement with my partners of what to do. So I just walked out. I gave a week's notice and left 10 million bucks on the table and walked out and started my own peacemaking practice in on in November 1st, 2000. You know, it, it, somehow, I mean, if, if there's a, you know, a, a greater power or whatever, I think that they, they help us by having that, that inability re to resolve that disagreement, you know? Um, right. And Some, somehow it works out. I mean, every every time I've come to a plateau or whatever you want to call it, there, there's always something that happens that says, okay, take the next step. That's right. And I've done it over the years. And that's really, you're really defining my experience. Because then after that, 10 years later, I co-founded the Prison of Peace Project with my colleague and dear friend, Laurel Cochran. For the last 13 years, we've been in maximum security prisons, training murderers and lifers how to be peacemakers and mediators to stop prison violence. That is really interesting because uh, I, I've known I've known a few people that have found found themselves in a position where they can actually go into prisons and make a difference. And I, I think for some of us, it's easier to make a difference there than it is elsewhere. Interestingly, interesting you should say that. It, it in fact it is. I mean prisons are not easy places to work in, but don't get me wrong. And we're not exactly dealing with 
interesting. Well, I will say we are dealing with very interesting populations and very interesting students. But um, just to just to that point, over something like six thousand of our students in California have been released on parole. Not one of them, to our knowledge, is reoffended. That is one hell of a record. Pardon the French. No, that's okay. I mean, because the foundational skill we teach them is this listening skill, affect labeling, and then we that's the foundation, and then we build we build everything on top of that, and um, it completely transforms their lives. Yeah, and and I would think this is going to sound not facetious. It's sort of interesting observation on my part. I would think that these are people that have come to the conclusion that they really need to learn how to listen because that's what they haven't been able to do. They are. I mean, they're attracted to the program uh, for all kinds of different reasons. And but once they get in it, they get addicted to it because they see the changes in in the lives of their families on the outside. And they see the changes in the lives of people that they're living with on their yards. And it, I mean, the, the dramatic transformations occur and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. stuff. But you're right. So you were talking earlier about fate. And it was just fate that Laurel called me on that day in August 2009, reading me a letter from a woman serving a life sentence in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, asking us to come in and train them how to be peacemakers to stop the violence. I mean, who, who, where, 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 where do you go with that, right? <laughs> well, it's 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 interesting because I, I I can't pin my put my finger on the date, but like it's kind of a couple of years ago. Uh, I heard about uh, a thing called the Y Institute. Okay, uh, this is not a commercial, by the way. I'm just telling you background. Um, and I thought, well, I, I ought to check that out, right? And so I did. And so the guys that's their sales manager, he has some other title, but that's what he is really. Uh, he said, well, would you like to take the why and, and find, you know, the YOS and find out a little bit more about yourself. And I said, fine. And the background of this operation is you're probably familiar with Simon Sinek, who did a thing. Okay. Well, Simon even wrote a book about how to find your why, right. but he never really wanted to build a business on that. Right. So this uh, fellow who happened to be in Albuquerque, uh, who was a dentist, was having, he was struggling in his firm. And so he hired Sinek for a couple of days to try to find out what his why was to see if it would work for him. And it worked. And so because of that, he started trying to help other people and he built um, the why discovery, which is, you know, just, you know, it used to take like half a day to do it, right? Because he did it manually, but he'd help people figure out what their why was. And that went along for a while. And about another year went, went by and he went, you know, we need to know more. And he, and he said, and he tried hiring um, software writers, which didn't work. So he learned how to write software himself, right? And he wrote a program called the YOS, huh. which is now the basis of the entire Y Institute. And essentially, when you take the discovery, it's 98 point something percent accurate so far based on all the research they've done. Uh, and what it does is it allows you to figure out what your, your DNA, your operating system is, how you operate. And interestingly enough, there are only nine basic whys, okay? <laughs> and I, I quickly run through those, but I'll tell you about mine, which is the easiest thing. I am what's called a better way. And, and what that means is that I'm continually looking for ways to make things better. 
processes, systems. I don't care what it is. It's just the way my, 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 my mind works. Okay. But I'm not happy unless I can share that. Okay. And so the, the, the YOS gives you your why, your how, and your what. Okay. Most people, when they're describing what they do, start with what? Because the, the most popular question, the most asked question in North America is, what do you do? Right? Okay. And people want to know what you do. Okay. But they really want to know why you do it. Because what you do doesn't have as much emotion in it as why you do it. Okay. And so one of the things, one of the things I differ, Gary Sanchez is the guy that put this all together. Uh, one of the things that Gary and I differ on is that I say, when somebody says, what do you do? You need to tell them what you do and then tell them why. Because, and, and, and he, he and I disagree on this, but, but it's a disagreement that's working towards an, a resolution. Um, because from my viewpoint, people want to have a problem solved. That's why they're asking what you do, okay? Can you solve my problem, right? Right. But the why is what gives them the, the information the words, if you will, to refer you to someone who may have a similar problem. And that's why it works so well. Anyway, so over the last couple of years, I've been working with that organization. Uh, not, a, not How can I put it? I have not been a consultant, but I've been a contributor. I'll put it that way. Uh, and we're moving towards me being a consultant at this point. <laughs> it's like, hello, we need to have you on board. So, okay. Uh, but that that listening to to the the need for that sort of thing out in the world and finding other folks that need it and know how to use it and are beginning to use it uh, has been sort of the driving force for my last about my last year uh, because I speak internationally as well uh, and I'm just starting to put together uh, presentations on I'm going to call it uh, the why of your personal brand which <laughs> I think is really going to be helpful for folks. Um, but how do I say this only because I listened to somebody who said, you might be interested in this. And then I listened to the folks that were pitching in and then I listened to it and then I tried it. I mean, it's like, you got to listen. If you don't listen, you aren't going to take action. And you're going to miss a lot of stuff. Oh man. Can you miss stuff? It just goes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it that gets you up in the morning? Gets you really excited. Um, I think what really gets me up in the morning is the possibility of finding a way to present a client's differing differential. Um, I mean, as a, for instance, uh, one of my clients, in fact, we're working on some self some scheduling problems have occurred, but basically he is a supply chain specialist, right? And everybody can say, Hey, I do supply chains. Yeah, big deal. Right. But getting people to observe, understand, and understand how in-depth his knowledge is, we were looking for a way to do that in a, for a presentation. He was doing a speech. And he said, you know, I really just hate doing those slide decks. I said, so what do you got in mind? He said, well, I'd like to do what I do with a client. I said, what's that? He said, I asked them if I can borrow their whiteboard. I said, okay, tell me more. He said, well, well I, I do a, a whiteboard presentation that basically explains how I, I see the supply chain and how I see it in terms of not being just the supply chain, but a way to generate capital or cash in their business. And I went, oh, really? We did that presentation. 
The presentation was supposed to take 30 minutes. It did. There was supposed to be a five-minute Q&A afterwards. 35 minutes later, they had to shut it down because they were running out of time on the Zoom session. Um, and people were asking him to, you know, to talk about things. And he just kept going up to the whiteboard and, and doing more and more and more. So we took that, we turned that into a video series. Uh, we now have 18 in the can and the next two are supposed to come my way tomorrow, I think. Um, but it's to the point where the people who see it, if they don't get it, are sending him emails saying, where is it? What's going on, right? It makes them know who he is. And it's similar to something I did for another client who is, he's now, he calls it retired. Well, he's still working with three clients, but he calls it retired. Um, and basically he wrote a book and in the book was a chapter on the myths of leadership. And when he was doing the, the interviews, the podcast and so on, that's the one thing everybody honed in on and wanted to know more about and so on, right? So he said, what, what do you think that's important? I went, eh, let's give it a try. We did a video series. Before he re retired, there were over 150 in the can and they went out weekly, okay? Nobody else was doing it. Nobody else had the ability to do it. Uh, and so it marked him as completely different. And he called me well, not too long ago and he said, you know, Everybody that I've gone to work with since we started that knows it, remembers it, and it's part of the reason they called me. Hmm. So that kind of differential, that's what gets me up in the morning. There you go. Figuring out how to how to help people find the market differentiation. Yeah, well, and 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 you know, I've been I've been a, a fan, whatever you want to call it, of positioning since Trout and Reese started that. Uh, I've actually done work that that uh, the Reese has been involved with. Uh, and literally had conversations with the guy. I know what I'm, what I'm talking about with him. Um, and I've been a branding expert for forever. So for me, finding a way to make someone's brand more memorable, it all, almost automatically makes it more profitable. It's just right. what I do. Right. Interesting. Well, I got one more question for you. Okay. What... What's the one thing about yourself that we wouldn't know about unless you revealed it to us? Hmm. One thing you wouldn't know unless I revealed it. Um, I have a talent. I hear things and see things that other people don't. As a for instance, uh, the gentleman I was talking about that we did the myth work with. I was trying to find a way to position him. And I said, do you have any uh, information from clients that you've worked with, testimonials, whatever? And I started down through those and he, and he just sent it to me, an email to me, right? And one of them just leaped off the page at me. And what it said was, learning how to lead with you is like learning or like driving through the fog and finding your way, right? And so I said to Jim, I said, what if we positioned you as the guy that does that? Uh, the one that finds your way through the fog. And he went, well, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense, but you know, we'll try anything once, right? Right. So we did that. 
And I'll give you his comment instead of the rest of it. Basically, after three months, he said, everybody gets it. Nobody forgets it. And my fees have tripled since wow. we started. Okay. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing that I do. And, and, and I try to do that with whoever I'm working with. I mean, right now, I'm waiting for a brief from uh, a former client in uh, Madrid uh, who literally, I mean, just over the transom out of the blue, said, hey, I got something I think I need your help with. Can we talk, right? So literally, the difference in time between the West Coast of the U.S. and Madrid is huge, right? So the only way I could talk to them was it's 8 o'clock in the morning for me and 5 o'clock in the afternoon for them. Well, they're traveling this week. They're in Austin this week, I think. Uh, so I'm still waiting for the brief. But literally, uh, the conversation I had with, with uh, Javier changed the direction of their company about five years ago uh, and, and made, them, made it possible for them to stay in business. That's the reason he was calling me um, or actually emailing me through his system. Uh, so that's kind of what I do. And, and that ability to hear or see or feel, smell, whatever, whatever sense you want to talk about, that difference. If you want to call it listening, okay, fine. Uh, but that ability to reach in where other people, you know, it's in their files, it's right there, right in front of them, and they can't see it or see, hear it or, you know, whatever. That's amazing. I have that ability. That's amazing. Yeah. This has been an amazing 30 minutes. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jerry. Oh, oh hey, thank you. This was fun. <laughs> Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listeningwithleaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.